John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey! This is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kilteka. John Kilteka. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just about froze up there right at the beginning and couldn't remember what I was supposed to say. It's just my name. That's all. Yeah. Doesn't seem so hard in retrospect, (laughs) you know. Hello, my name is Lewis. Yeah. Uh, This is the High Gain Podcast. It is the High Gain Podcast. What do we talk about? We talk about guitars, uh, generally speaking. Yep. Where are we recording from this week? Beautiful West Seattle, Washington. Again, a lovely day. Lovely day. I'm probably going to walk home from the High Gain Central to the High Gain West, I guess. Southwest. Southwest, yeah. High Gain Southwest. Uh, Yes. A lot of times I don't know what the guitar is going to be, like today. Didn't know. Right. And you pull some guitar out of a case, and I just kind of sit over here and look at you as you tune it up and fuck around with it and stuff. This one you pulled out of the case, and I immediately said, give me that. I did notice that. Which is pretty rare. I had to play it before we started. You know, when we do our little buy or deny of the guitar, right? My attitude is usually like, deny, and then I warm up to it. (laughs) I feel like this guitar is really going to have to fuck up pretty bad for me to not love it. Yeah, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but it's not going to. It's awesome. It's not going to disappoint. It's just right. We're not fancy guitar guys. We did that other Gretsch a while back, the Gretsch that you thought about buying. The one that got away. Yeah. While we were recording, it sold. Yeah. And this is not unlike that one, but I think I like this one more. I saw you.
Beverages. Beverages, Ed. That was a joyous rendition of Space Age Love Song by Flock of Seagulls. Yes. The reason Ed knew that is yeah. because it was his suggestion. Yeah. Ed was missing the 80s. Yeah. With the hair. 1982. I looked it up because I wasn't sure. What do you think you would have pinned that song at? I might have said 85, 86. I was going to say 87. So it feels in that synth pop tip, not that far removed from Joy Division, right? That's true. Like, And the delta between Flock of Seagulls and Joy Division feels pretty fucking massive. At least as big as the hair. Right. Good job, John. What was the pedal you were playing on that? I had the Strymon Flint on. Yeah. It has two sides to it. One side is a kind of trim vibe side, and the other side is reverb. I set the trim to be super choppy, and then I set the trail on the reverb at maximum, so it just yeah. kept washing over its own self. Yep. Loved it. That pedal is pretty dang versatile, and I do not own one, and I think that's a mistake. It is a good pedal. Ian Curtis died May 18th, 1980. 1980. 1980. But you know what I mean? End of Joy Division, 80. And then this song comes out in 81. It's a massive difference between Ian Curtis's synth pop kind Uh, of sound and... Whole different approach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't even tell you what I'm going to do to that in the future times. Right. What are you drinking, Ed? Oh, I got a cup of black coffee here. Yeah? It's delicious. Nice. Yeah, I got some water and shaking it up. Shaking something up. What is it? I've got a mason jar full of juice. You know what, Ed? Yeah. I think I know a way to spice your juice up. Oh. I think when you bring your juice, I will have a mystery ingredient. No. I will just vow to you that it will not be meat-based. Mm-hmm. It will not have sugar in it Mm -hmm. or any of that crappy stuff. It'll be like roofies, blended (laughs) up roofies. I'm not letting you touch my beverages, John. What if I showed you a little jar or something and it was a pleasing color? Maybe it even smelled nice? I don't know. I feel like it is bad practice. You know, that thing you're drinking? Let me put this in it. That scares me. (laughs) And I trust you, John, but not that much. Okay, what's in that thing? Lime, ginger... It's got a pear, kale, carrot, and some oranges. What do you got, John? Oh, what do I got? A Coca-Cola, a Mexican Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. where it normally says Coca-Cola refreshing. Yeah. Coca-Cola refresco. Mm. If that doesn't mean refreshing, I'm sure somebody's going to tell me. Sure. Did I ever tell you about when I made hamonade? Mm, fucking terrible. Most people, not Ed, but most people like ham on principle. It's a salty meat snack. Exactly. And lemonade, who can complain? Sure. So I just thought, well, what if I combined the two Mm -hmm. and made hamonade? So I got some ham and some lemons. We get it. Put it all in the blender. I got to tell you, Ed, it was the most foul thing I have ever had in my life. The cats loved it. Wow, liquid meat. This is amazing. Yep. They could not believe themselves. Yep. It's terrible. This, Ed, is a Gretsch. Yep. This is a limited edition Gretsch that came out in 2014. Okay. This is the Gretsch Professional Collection G6112. Is this a fancy guitar? A fancy variant on a very storied 
guitar. Yeah. It's pretty easy to follow how Gretsch got to something like this. What you're looking at here, Ed, is a Gretsch hollow body type thing. It's got a couple of filter drums in it. Very cool looking. A Bigsby. Mm-hmm. Single cutaway and some controls on it. Picture just about any Gretsch you've ever seen. This is a two-tone finish. The top of this is what they call Jaguar Tan. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's a blue light down here. I'm colorblind. If I sit really still, I'll disappear and Ed can't see me. Yeah. Does it have almost like a mint green tint to it, or is that the Not light? in the least. Okay. Yeah. Is it a tan color? It's like foam, like on a latte. And then the sides and back are copper metallic. Okay. I'll give you the brief overview on Gretsch. Yeah. Gretsch is founded in 1883 by our man Friedrich Gretsch. What's he doing? Friedrich is not doing too much of anything. Mm-hmm. Friedrich leaves the building in 1895. He checked out early. Do we know how old he was? He might have been 100. He was 39. <laughs> Considerably less than 100. Yeah. So he leaves the company to his wife and his young son, Fred Gretsch, who was at that point 15. We've talked about this. We have. Young Fred, born in 1880. Yes. Not around. Yep. While he was around, he's making all the instruments of the time, turn of the century America. Your banjos, your yep. ukuleles, you know, yep. whatever the kids are buying. Mm -hmm. Until around 1930, he sees a future coming. He wants to get into this whole guitar business. Okay. So they start making hollow bodies and such. But then things get kind of roiled up with the World War II. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He hands off to Fred Gretsch Jr. Which is the third? Yeah, there's Friedrich. Yeah. There's Fred. Fred Jr. So it's really like Fred, Fred, Fred. Yeah. But Fred Jr.'s got to go to World War II, and yeah. then he hands off to his brother, Bill. Got to go to war. Can you do this thing while I'm away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, fine. Fred makes it back fine from the war, and Bill gives the company back to him. So that's nice. Yeah. Junior and Bill both. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my we've God. We've since lost them. That's the kind of rough start to Gretsch. So... What does that have to do with anything? In 1955, they kind of hit pay dirt, Gretsch does, when they bring on probably their biggest endorser ever, Chet Atkins. Love it. And they start designing with and for him. Yep. And they come out with the first Chet Atkins model in 55. In keeping with numbering all the guitars, this one was the 6120, 6120. They called it the Chet Atkins hollow body. That was the 6120. In 1955, yes. What number is this? This one is a 6112. Oh, okay. I've never figured out the numbers. You know, like if the Chet Atkins hollow body is a Chet Atkins hollow body, why don't you just call it that? The numbers don't designate feature sets or chronology. I think or... there's some of that. Like the six designates electric and the one Ugh. one is like pickup, pickup. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, is there me? something like that? There could be, and I just have no idea. Also, clueless. 55, there's that aerospace nomenclature -y sort of thing going on. I got the Chet Atkins 6120 here. Roger that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they would, by the mid-60s, just shorten that whole name from the Chet Atkins hollow body yeah. to just the Nashville. <laughs> but in 55, it was called the Chet Atkins hollow body. I don't body. think that's how shortening a name works. Well, that is less words. 
I picture shortening something from the Chet Atkins hollow body to the Chet, where, like, they just changed the name that happens to be shorter. But anyway, it was a huge seller, (laughs) super hit. I think owing to the fact that it was different than anything else. It was one of those big kind of jazzy boxes. Yeah, right. The 6120 that they made. I am going to ask you, Ed, when it came out in 1955, how much it went for. Ah. Before I had this, it belonged to my sister. Used to be dad's, but he never took interest. Before it was his, it was paid for on time By his father who left it, and now it is mine So what do you think? How much was this? $412 In 1955 dollars? It's way off, right? That's pretty good, Ed Is it? You said 412 it was 385 well, That's not bad. That's not bad. That's pushing $4,000 yeah. in today, though. Yeah, I thought I was too high, and I thought I was too high by a lot. You know, I knew 400 was a lot in 55 but I also knew that guitar was a lot in 55 So what do you think, viewers? Did you beat Ed? Uh, pff, doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. Come on. So they made variants on it for years and years and years on the 6120. Yeah. Different colors, different signature models, different appointments. It was that popular that they just kept cycling through it. Sure. Kind of recently, they made a 6120 Junior. Smaller size, about 14 inches across the waist as opposed to the big boy. Is that the waist or the hips? Yeah, I guess that's the hips. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a lot thinner, too. Yeah. The double anniversary you mentioned was the same thing, that smaller form factor. We've talked about it, and we've talked about, like, the White Falcon, and Gretsch makes some just sick-looking guitars. Yeah. But you got to be a dude that can play one of those guitars. you got to be a guy who's got some swagger to play, like, a White Falcon, you know? I think so. And I do not own that much swagger on my best day. I never did. Exactly. I don't have White Falcon swagger. No. The Junior is not that. This thing is not that thing. And that's why I like it. This is not a Junior. This is not a Nashville Junior, but the Nashville Junior was in 99. Okay. And it too was popular, but would be discontinued not too far later. Inside of 10 years, it was gone as well. Yeah. Until this one, which is not a 6120, as I mentioned, this is a 6112, TCB. Okay. Dash Junior. <laughs> okay. CB stands for center block. Okay. It's not a super hollow body yeah. like the big boy. Okay. Interesting thing about the center block in this, they chambered the center block. Yeah. So it makes it lighter yep. and it makes it more resonant at the same time. All of this discussion that you just had about the center block and then the routing and the resonance of it, this is all like... A very similar discussion to Tonewood to me, except for whatever reason, everything you just described makes complete sense to me. I can see how putting a block down the middle might add to sustain, but take away resonance. 10-4. Got it. This is without anything on it. 
Even though this is going through pickups, which is kind of my standard tonewood argument, I feel like with these hollow bodies, they interact a little bit more. I think that's true. A little bit of a ripper, Ed. Yeah. They made this thing in a limited edition of 50. Oh, no shit. 2014, they made 50 of these. This is one of those? This is one of those 50. It has its own model designation. I mentioned TCB, which is thin line, CB, which is center block, Uh and junior, which is junior, because it is a smaller Nashville-sized. Yeah. It's thinner than even the Nashville junior was. Okay. Yeah, it just sounds great. Do you want to know what these controls are? Yeah, I do. Uh, The easiest one to explain is on the cutaway bout. Master volume. Great. So it doesn't matter what you said anything else to, master volume. And there you go. Easy to figure out. The two on the back of the guitar are both volumes. There are two pickups, a volume for each. This is going to be one of those guitar player 101 things. I'm going to ask a question and people are going to be like, Ed is so fucking dumb. Well, it's a different way of getting a different tone. If I want more treble... Instead of adding more treble via a tone control, I can just turn down the neck pickup. I think that was the core of my question, but with the master volume specifically, is there an advantage to having both regular volumes set to 50% and the master volume at 100? Do you get a tonal variation there that's specifically different? No clue. (laughs) I'll tell you what. There's a pickup selector switch. Okay. Works like you would expect. There's another switch. Yeah. When it's in the middle, it does nothing. Okay. And what it is is a tone switch. When you put it down, it's a roll-off switch set to what they say is medium. Mm. I'm in the middle. Go middle again. Tone switches off. Go to the bridge. Now do down. Okay. It's kind of scoopy. Guy like me, fucking snip the wires on that tone thing, because I have no need for that. No need. Vandal. This thing sounds really great. The pickups that are loaning their oomph to this are called Sensitive Filtertron Pickups. Oh. Trademark. Like emo? Sensitive? Yeah, yeah. They stare at their own feet a lot. Sad. Vegan. Yeah. Thumbnail inlays on the neck. I love those. Beautiful. This is a pretty cool guitar. Yeah. I remember a while back, we had a discussion about how I bought a Fender Jaguar from 1963. Yes. Remember that discussion? Yes. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Why did I do this? And uh-huh. I should probably fund it by selling a guitar or two. And I decided, oh, maybe I'll sell the St. Vincent. 
Yeah. We said, oh, people should send email or messages. And it seemed like the majority of people wanted you to keep that. Yeah. That one actually got a pretty wide number of replies, either in DMs or we got emails. And yeah, everyone was like, keep it. And I sold it. You d- <laughs> see, see, viewers, <laughs> give Ed advice. Uh, He's not even going to wait for the grain of salt to arrive. No, it's not exactly true. There's a high gain viewer that I bought that guitar from. We ran into each other in Thunder Road when I just happened to be there and he happened to be there and he had bought that guitar. And I'm like, oh man, if you ever sell that thing, let me know. Nine months later, I got a text and he's like, I think I just want to sell this. And I bought it from him. Then when I was ready to sell, I texted and was like, hey, you think you might want this thing back? So... We sort of have a gentleman's handshake agreement. It's effectively the down payment guitar that will be passed between (laughs) us at the same price. As needed. Exactly. So when he's ready to buy another guitar and it's like, oh God, I need to get rid of something, it'll just come back to me. So it's basically a deposit guitar that I feel like is staying in the high gain family. That's a beautiful story, Ed. So I didn't exactly ignore the advice, but it's not in my possession exactly either. You can visit it. But yeah, this Gretsch is rad, John. You gotta try it. Try and decide. Is it hello or goodbye? Buy or deny, Ed. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Buy this one or buy a similar, smaller shaped Nashville style? You know, there's that weird thing of just, oh shit, I want that. Yeah. This thing had that. You opened the case and I was immediately like, I love this guitar. I'm just noticing that it's substantial. Like I'm just playing an A bar chord and I've got our overdrive set to minimal, but still that just... It's great. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. What about you? What do you think of this thing? Makes me want a double anniversary more. Yeah. Same form factor, but I'm a fan of that smoke green color. This guitar, the 2014, the build quality feels better than the older one. I think we discussed in the past that Gretsch stuff is being done by the guys at Terada in Japan, and they are all top-of-the-line craftsmen. Right. And so they probably chose the top of the line from that top of the line to do this limited edition. Yeah, if there's only 50 of these things? Yeah. Where do we get this from? We borrowed this from our good friend Uncle Frank over there at ThunderRoadGuitars.com. Oh, man. I think he did a great job by recommending this one. I think he did, too. How is old Uncle Frank? Well, you know, we're into the Christmassy season, and he seems to be holding up, and everything's going well. Love it. I don't know what this podcast would be if not for our good friend, Uncle Frank. Hyperbole aside and all of that, we've done 200 episodes of The High Gain. Almost all of them have been supplied by a guy who does not need to give us sometimes very expensive guitars to just like... Dork around with. Yeah, especially when we will give generally some pretty unvarnished opinions. Yeah, you bring up a wonderful point, Ed. Yeah. This is the time of the year to be thankful for people like Uncle Frank. Kidding aside, big ups to Uncle Frank.
Thunder Road opened in West Seattle, so it quickly became my local guitar store. Home field. But I went in there and several times traded guitars and, you know, brought things in. And the folks at Thunder Road are super transparent. I have never had a bad shopping experience at Thunder Road Guitar, even before the podcast. I don't know. I have gone into guitar stores and purchased things and walked out and had instant buyer's remorse where I felt like, oh, they just tried to get the most money out of me and pay the least. Yeah. Thunder Road does not do that. I appreciate that too. Yeah. He'll tell you why he's calculating the numbers he's calculating. Yep. Then it's up to you if that's cool yep. or not. Didn't mean for this to turn into a Thunder Road commercial, but thanks, Uncle Frank. That was just heartwarming. Yeah. <laughs> heartwarming <laughs> when you're done shopping on thunderroadguitars.com yeah why don't you go over to thehighgain.com and look at some of our stuff listen to an episode yeah leave a review on itunes did you know that ed what you can listen directly off our website i don't know something happened something catastrophic yeah not deadly maybe mildly inconveniencing sure you can always get an episode off the site yeah okay well then let's come back next week and do another one okay all right Bye, John. Bye, Ed.